John chapter 2, reading through verses 1 through 12. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best wine till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee, he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples. There they stayed for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Wouldn't you say that first impressions are important? That initial interaction you might have with somebody, how somebody looks at you and how you first see them can have a huge impact. Imagine these these faces, if you will, that are going to be up on the screen. Which one of these people would you be more likely to want to interact with the first time you see them? I'm going to hazard a guess that it's the people with the happier faces, the smiling faces. Those are the ones that you're going to be drawn to because you feel like, oh, they seem like a nice person. I think I'd like to interact with them. If you see somebody who's like sad or maybe they're looking really angry, maybe your initial thoughts are, I'm not not sure I want to involve myself in that. That seems like a bit of a stretch, or maybe I don't have the emotional bandwidth for that in this moment. I think joy and happiness are essential in how we connect with each other. It's what binds those, brings those bonds together in those first moments. I mean, somebody that you love, somebody that you care for, whenever you see a smile on their face, It just draws you closer together in relationship. And you want to hang out with them more. You want to to be with them. I mean, think about the smiling faces on moms and babies. That's how they first initially connect and the the laughter and, and the joy that a mom and a child would share together. It's how we form those lasting relationships with friends and family members when we have those Positive, encouraging. What the heck? Oh. Uh, hey, friend. Uh, hey, hey. Um, 
Okay. I'm, I'm real confused now. Good. Can I help you? I, last well, okay. Last time I, I was here, Greg, right? Yeah, Morgan, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, last time I was here, you gave me a uh, gave me a map, um, and I'm going on an adventure. Okay, this is really fa- what, what's going on. What What are you looking for? Where Where is this map taking you? Well, uh, I'm not sure, but you you know you said that to follow the map, um, and, and you know to find uh, some more people, and and this says that I need to find more people, you know, who know about God. Uh, and so I just decided to come back here to do that. Yeah. Um, but this, this, is, um, this is a wedding. Yeah, we're just ready for a wedding. It's great. Um, okay. I, I mean, I, I would have I dressed differently oh. if, if, I, if I knew that, that we were going to be at a wedding. No, today. no, that's fine. You're totally um, welcome to be here. We would love it. If you would join us for this wedding, okay. And you, are you sure? I mean, because I feel I feel like I feel a little out of place. Like I think I might just you know fill up my water bottle and, and no, no, that's and, okay. You know what? Why, how about I help you? Let me take this off for you. Okay. Here, I'll hold that. I'll hold that for you. Okay. And you know what's even better? We have a spot for you. Yeah. Come, we got a reserve space right there that you can have a seat at. Really? Yeah. So, how did you? How did you know I w- was coming? Okay. See? And, and, and this, is, this is where I might, you know, learn more about Jesus? Totally. We're going to talk about Jesus Day and one of Jesus' very first miracles that he performed at a wedding. Like this? Kind of like this. Okay. Okay. So I, what, get, I pick up what you're putting down. All right. Now. Okay, so why don't right. you sit down? And listen and, and just come and see what we're going to talk about today. Okay. All right. All right. Enjoy. Thanks. So, does anybody have and would they be willing to share a joyful memory or experience with friends or family that sticks out to them? I have one in the back of my head. I'll save you, Lyndon. Birth of your first child. I can roll with that too. There was this one time I was vacationing with my family in Santa Cruz. It's something we did every year, and Courtney was joining us, um, and we were just hanging around the table, and somebody said, hey, let's just play poker for fun. No money, just get out the chips, and let's let's just play cards. And so we set up, and my mom never played poker in her life. She's like, oh, I'll play with you. Just show me how it's done. And it was so hilarious that she beat us. Every hand she'd be like, I don't, I don't know what I have, but does this work? And it's like, mom, that's a straight flush. You win. I don't, I don't, does this work? Mom, that's a full house. You win. We were just laughing so hard at how she... She didn't know. She eventually learned, and maybe in the back of my head, I'm like, Mom, were you hustling us? Like, there was nothing involved in that. Were you just having fun? So much joy as we were just laughing around the table. Anybody else have experience? Lois. Nice. 
Little child just busting into the home to give you hugs. It's joyful. That's awesome. Thank you. Morgan. That's funny. That's good. Frank. I met Jerry coins. You met Jerry flipping coins. 69 years. That's something to celebrate here. Carl. Adopting your two children. Nice. That's awesome. Anybody else? So good. Laughing around a dinner table, enjoying a meal together, sharing some time bowling with friends, sharing silly stories around a campfire. Our children, the kids in our neighborhood who bring us joy, our friends, our neighbors who bring us joy. Today, in this story in scripture that we've already read, I think we get a great example of seeing who Jesus is, why he's come, and how we can draw closer to him through this experience of his disciples and everybody at this wedding. This is a unique story in the Gospel of John because it's placement right after the beautiful introduction of chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then this miracle shows up to demonstrate who Jesus is and what it means for God to come down and be with us. And at the very end of chapter 1, after Jesus has the interactions with Philip and Nathaniel and calling them, Jesus looks at Nathaniel and he says, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, but you will see greater things than that. And the first of the greater things that Nathaniel gets to see is this miracle. So hopefully, like Nathaniel and all the other disciples, I want you to walk home with this point today. And that is that joy, celebration, and abundance draws us to Jesus as he invites us to be witnesses to his glory. I love that this story opens with a party. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana at Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Parties by their very nature are extravagant. You want to put on a party, you pull out all the stops, you decorate all the tables, you light candles, you put flowers out, you dress up, you go above and beyond the normal thing because you're marking something special. Birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, graduations, quinceaneras. We watched McFarland USA, And a quinceanera was an essential part of celebration in that movie. Our wedding, Courtney and I's wedding, when we got married, we realized very early on we had two choices. Because I was a youth pastor at a church. I'd grown up at that church for so long. I knew everybody. Courtney was involved in young life and youth ministry just down 49 in Auburn. She was involved at a college ministry at a church. She knew everybody. We can either go small and invite just close family to come to this thing, or we got to go big, because we got to invite everybody. We said, let's go big. And we knew that if it was going to be big and we were going to have a bunch of people there, 
We didn't want it to be boring. We'd been to many weddings. We took notes, and we're like, let's do that. Let's not do that. Let's do that. Let's not do that. I got a couple pictures that I will share from that. We had one thing we had was a photo booth. As people came in, they got to take pictures with their friends and families. That kind of became our like guest list. They put them in the guest book and they could sign notes by it. These are our two friends, Joey and Sarah, very appropriately. They were not married at this time, but they caught our garter and bouquet. And then a few years later, he would use that garter and bouquet as a way to propose for their wedding. So we had our friends and family being able to do that. Also, we surprised everybody there before the wedding. I had sent Courtney this YouTube video of this bride and groom who, when they started their traditional first dance to kind of a slow waltz, but then different music broke in, and it was like, baby got back, and they started dancing. So we put this music medley together of different songs we liked and appreciated, and this is a part where a country, pop country song comes on, and Courtney gets to show off her cowboy boots that she's wearing under her dress, and I'm not a huge country fan, so I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever, next one, please. Then one of my songs kicked in, metal, screaming, loud. She's covering her ears, and I start basically mosh-pitting around the room. Next slide. And we ended, of course, with big flourish to the Amazement of everybody. It was a surprise. We didn't tell anybody there except for the sound guy who had to change the music, but that was it. We wanted to make it fun. We wanted to make it enjoyable. We wanted it to be a party that when everybody walked out, not only were they happy that we were married, but like, man, that's, that's going to stick in my head. I'm going to remember that. And I'm going to remember the joy that I had there. This first miracle of Jesus at this wedding places him in a moment just like this in a very human celebration at a party. And we can focus a lot on the end of Jesus' life, and I think duly so. The crucifixion, the resurrection, the pinnacle of everything that happened through time was Jesus dying for our sins and being resurrected on the third day. But none of that can happen if Jesus doesn't first come down like a human, to live a life as a human, fully human, and experience everything that we do, including our joys, including our celebrations. He's got to be with us and demonstrate the essentialness of his humanity. And in the story, we get a glimpse of that. He's celebrating with friends and family. I don't imagine Jesus to be the type who's just sitting in the back of a wedding, arms crossed, staring at everybody. That doesn't strike me as who Jesus is. He's here at this wedding. He's on earth. What else is he going to do but laugh? Dance. Enjoy the space that he's in. He never sits back and says, you think this is great, just wait. Or yeah, 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 but. No, Jesus lets the wedding be the focus. He participates in it. He joins into it. He acknowledges and celebrates fully the moments in his life. I think Jesus would have come to my wedding. I hope Jesus would have come to my wedding. 
This is the Jesus I want to know, that I want to have a relationship with, a joyful and celebratory Jesus. I've set the space up this way because I want you to imagine yourself at a wedding, to think about being there. And if you'd all close your eyes for a second, imagine yourself at this wedding with Jesus. See what's going on around you. Imagine the wedding that's set before you, the bride and groom who are happy, they're smiling, their family and friends who are happy and smiling with them. And imagine as you scan over the crowd, you see Jesus. He's happy. He's happy to be at this party. He's happy you're at this party. See him laugh. See him dance. See him enjoy some food. Why wouldn't you want to follow him? Being at this party with Jesus and enjoying the space should inspire you. I want to be with that guy. Why wouldn't you want to go on an adventure with him? He looks like fun. I want to do that. You can open your eyes now. So Jesus is at this party. The stage is set. The wedding is happening. Everything's going on. The bride and groom are happy. It's great. It's everything they've ever imagined and dreamed. But then there's a problem. The wine is out. What are we going to do? Jesus' mom, Mary, notes it, that the wine is out, and that means the party's over. Everybody would have to go home. At our wedding, we had a kind of an interestingly similar experience that we didn't find out about until the very end. The lady who was making our cakes dropped off the cakes, and the people in the kitchen said, that's not enough cake. You need more cake. You can't feed all these people. The lady who made our cakes ran home, made another cake, and brought it back. The only way we found out was after the wedding when we're handed a completely untouched sheet cake. Here you go. What? Yeah, you had too much cake. Okay. Then somebody later told us what happened. Now, she didn't miraculously turn something into cake like Jesus does here, but it was an interesting connection I made as I was working through the sermon. So the wine runs out. The party's got to end. You can't give any more wine out. We got to go home. And Jesus' mother, Mary, notices this and tells him they have no more wine. And Jesus has this kind of funny interaction with his mom. I imagine if you're a mom to kids and Your child addresses you in this way. That's not going to be a positive outcome for that child. What's it to me? Jesus says. Why do you involve me? Woman. As I was reading commentaries and wrestling with this passage of why Jesus seems to not be connecting with his mom on a motherly relational level... A lot of the commentaries focused on the idea that Jesus 
as you read through the Gospel of John, it becomes very clear he's not here to do the specific will or order of anybody around him. John 6, verse 38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Jesus loves his mom. We know that at the end of the gospel, he takes care of his mother. But just because it's his mom, he's not going to let her deviate him from what the father's will is. But what becomes really interesting is that the miracle happens anyways. Jesus starts giving them instructions. There's ceremonial jars for washing. This was for cleaning before meals, washing hands, washing dishes. Because in, in Jewish tradition, you had to make sure that everything was clean. You didn't want anything that was not kosher to be in the room or on the plates or potentially on your hands. So you needed to wash before the meals. What's interesting, though, is it talks about this idea of ceremonial washing. And who was literally just doing ceremonial washings in the chapter before? John. John's at the Jordan baptizing people. This is a ceremonial washing, a cleansing of water that's going to happen. And John even says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He continues, he says, the man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. This ceremonial washing, this water that John is doing, this washing that even the Jews are participating in by washing their hands and their dishes, is all pointing to something greater. Something else is coming. Something else is going to happen with these things that you're doing. And Jesus takes that water and turns it into wine. He turns it into something greater. And it's not just enough wine to finish the party. Jesus doesn't say, eh, let's just make enough so we can all go home on time. We're told that these jars could hold together between the six of them 110 or 160 gallons. For reference, that's two to three standard modern barrels of wine that have just been rolled into the party. Or 500 to 800 standard wine bottles that you would go to the store and buy. It's like the truckload of wine just backed up to the party and started unloading. One of the biggest wine bottles you can buy is called a Nebuchadnezzar. I have a picture of a man holding a Nebuchadnezzar bottle of wine. 15 liters. It would take 30 or 40 of those bottles to fill what Jesus just did in an instant. Jesus isn't just keeping the party alive. He's overflowing the vats with wine. This is an abundance. This is more than they could have ever needed or imagined. 
Jesus, when Jesus gives life, one of the commentators I read says, he gives it abundantly far beyond all need or expectation. Later in the Gospel of John, we'll hear these words, the thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, Jesus says, so that they could have life indeed, so they could have life to the full. To have it more abundantly. Paul will write in Ephesians, Glory to God who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power at work within us. Glory to him and the church in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and always. To do far beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. That's what Jesus is doing at this party. And it's not just an overflowing amount of wine. This wine tastes awesome. It's the best wine. As the master of the banquet observes, this isn't the cheapo stuff that you might give out after everybody's not really worried about what they're drinking anymore. This is the best. This becomes a symbol of the great banquet that Mike mentioned that will happen at the end in Revelation when we're all, the, all the churches gathered together to celebrate with the Lamb. This is the first initial sign that that's going to happen. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, chapter 25, he says, On this mountain, the Lord of heavenly forces will prepare for all peoples a rich feast, a feast of choice wines, of select foods rich in flavor, of choice wines well refined. The prophet Isaiah saw this way before Jesus showed up, and Jesus is showing up at this wedding, at this party, at this banquet, And here is the initial sign of his status as Messiah. They will say on that day, Isaiah says, Look, this is our God for whom we have waited, and he has saved us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Jesus does this miracle. He doesn't even really wave a finger. He doesn't say any kind of magic words. He just gives instructions. And when you read the passage, it says, nobody knew what had happened, but the servants knew. The servants saw it happen. Jesus allows everyone in the party to benefit from this miracle. He doesn't draw any attention to himself. He doesn't go up to the, to the master of the banquet when he notices what happens and be like, yeah, I did that. That was me. That was me. Everybody thank me, Jesus. He just lets it happen. Let's everybody benefit from the miracle. But the servants knew. It's the servants that we get to follow and get to emulate. Following Jesus, we get to follow what Mary says. Do whatever he tells you. And when we get to witness miracles happening around us, happening to friends who might not believe, experiencing joys and celebrations from them, they might not know where the source of that joy comes from. They might not know where that miracle has come from. But we know. Like the servants, we know. And we can bear witness to that. We can say, hey, you know that good thing that happened? Something like that happened to me, but man, Jesus showed me that it was him working in my life. 
We're called and have the pleasure to observe and bear witness to all that Jesus has done in our lives, to the lives of those who are around us, and we can have the opportunity to point everybody back to Jesus and say, that guy, he did it. It's a miracle because he did it for me and he can do it for you and he's done it for you. The section concludes that John notes what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the first of Jesus' signs. We have expectations. Often you read through prophecies in the Old Testament. They had expectations of who this Messiah was, what the Messiah was going to do, how it would look like. We mentioned some of that through the verse in Isaiah. But this becomes a sign that it's, it's happening. It's all happening right here with Jesus in front of their eyes. What we've been waiting for, what we've been expecting is happening. Me and Courtney had been dating for a while before I proposed to her. And there was a lot of expectation around, when's he going to do it? When's he going to propose? What's it going to look like? And even on the day that I had planned to propose for, to her, Courtney had it built up in her mind. He's going to do it today. He's going to do it today. We went out to breakfast. I was going to take her on a, like a horseback ride on the beach because she loves horses. Then we were going to go to dinner and celebrate. My plan was to do it on the beach with the horses. I thought, great, what better time to propose? But as soon as we pull up to the horseback riding station, there's a giant sign that says, do not dismount while riding the horses. I'm like, well, I can't throw her the ring. That'd be a bad plan. And my horse, for whatever reason, always wanted to be in front. I'm not the greatest horseback rider. And she's like, control your horse. I'm like, he just wants to lead. I don't know. Little did I know that over that whole time, she had been thinking, he's going to do it. 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 And after the horseback ride, she started psyching herself down. It's not going to happen today. Not going to happen today. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen today. I'm not sure. And we're driving and we drive by this, this other beach as we're heading into where dinner's going to be. And she's like, oh, I used to surf on that beach. I said, great, you want to stop? Show me where you surfed. And as I'm fumbling in the back trying to get the ring, think about what I'm going to say, she's continuing to psych herself down. It's not going to happen today. Not going to happen today. Don't worry. And we go out on the beach, we walk for a little bit, and it happens. I have no idea what I said. I can't remember. I was a blubbering mess. She was a blubbering mess. But the ring, the ring was a sign. This is real. This is going to happen. What you've been expecting is finally going to happen. She called friends, she called family, so excited that this is it, we're going to get married. The ring was the first sign that this was really going to happen. What's interesting too about this miracle, it has nothing to do with healing. There's no demons exercise. There's no other kind of crazy supernatural activity. This isn't in the same category as life-threatening illness, physical helplessness, being without food, being blind, or death. Jesus keeping the party going is the first sign of his glory in John. 
Jesus celebrating life and keeping the joy going is the first sign of his glory in John. Jesus pointing at the great banquet that's promised at the end when everybody's gathered together. This is his first sign of his glory in John. A feast flowing with wine, new wine, great wine. Dancing, laughing, joy, good food. I'm going to invite Bo up. He's going to help us with some reflection here in a minute. I like to ride the train when I can, Amtrak. It's not the most glorious mode of travel in the United States. It doesn't get you to your place quickly. But why I like riding Amtrak is you get to have conversations with people. You get to get around a table and talk to people and you share a space with them. And this one time I had this conversation with this couple and we just really got into it. They figured out that I was wanting to be a pastor and they were sharing about some of their life experiences and they told me how they like used to go sailing and they used to hike and then they moved on into this thing and then they moved on into this next thing. And I remember by the end of it, I thought, it seems like you've lived like 20 different lives. They're like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. For our own lives and our relationships, and especially for those of us who are married, we have to find this new, fresh, life-giving thing so that our life doesn't fall stagnant. We need to have those signs and reminders of the newness that we committed to in the relationships when they first happened. Find new things to do together. Yeah, I love you. Let's try this new thing out. We don't have to keep doing this. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's pointing to new things that can keep the party going, keep things fresh, fulfill the promises and prophecies that have been coming through the whole of Scripture. And we as the church, as the servants like this story, get to bear witness to that. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. There must be newness in life in the many places where Christians assemble. If this is not to be an idle winter's tale, one of the commentators I read says. Let me say that again. There must be newness of life in the many places where Christians assemble. If this is not to be an idle winter's tale. If we don't experience the newness that Jesus is offering, this just becomes a stagnant cistern. We can come here and talk about Jesus all we want, but if something new doesn't pop out of what we do here, new wine, new life, joy, celebration, this just becomes an idle winter's tale, the commentator says. So that's why I think it was essential to try to get this point across that joy and celebration and abundance draws us to Jesus as he invites us to be witnesses to his glory. Now Bo's going to play something on this beautiful cello. Because I thought, what better like wedding instrument than a cello? And I have some reflection questions for you as Bo plays a song that I want you to think about. Where have you found new and abundant joy lately? Where has Jesus given you or someone around you new and abundant life? Where can we as a community help others experience new and abundant life through Jesus? Where can we help people experience new wine?
Thank mm-hmm. you.